Hi, this is Scott Sustachek, your host for CEO to CEO, the podcast from the CEO Roundtable. CEO Roundtable is a peer-to-peer organization that brings business leaders together to share wisdom, experience, and insights from the trenches. Today's episode is sponsored by IntroWorks, launching powerful B2B brands for more than 30 years. Learn more about them at intro.works. Welcome to episode five of CEO to CEO, and we've got a very special guest today, the president of Padilla, Matt Koharski. Matt, welcome. Thanks, Scott. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on over. Well, I love your office. Portable setup is nice. I know. Exactly. We're very mobile. You're coming into the office. We're in the office. Just (laughs) want to go on record that we're in the office. We're not working remote. Right. We're here. We're making it happen. And we've got a great space. I'm staring at a a Leroy Neiman in front of me, and there's another one to the right of me. It's a great, great creative space, which is what you do, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, Our our teams are our teams are pretty creative. Sometimes they don't think I am, but that's okay. That's why uh, my job my job is to give them the resources to be able to do what they do well. Well, you've got some really interesting and, and I think deep things to share with people that are running and leading companies today. And so I want to get to that. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about you, give our audience your background. You help clients across a wide range of industries build and grow and protect their brands and reputations, which is, that's what everybody's trying to do today is how, how do we get brand awareness? How do we get mindshare? You've been here, what, a 35-year career in this field? A long time, yes. And you're a big trend watcher, learner, educator, innovator, helping agencies' clients stay ahead of what's next, which is a, a big, that's a big job. I try. I try. <laughs> I had the good fortune of choosing a field fairly early in my career that fit well. Every organization, and I think about all your your listeners, every one of them is a business leader who has objectives they're trying to accomplish. And those objectives are hard to accomplish if people don't understand you and they don't appreciate you and they don't act in ways to help make that happen. And that's what we do through communications. We help organizations communicate so they can accomplish their business goals. That could be building brands. that could be building reputations. It could be getting employees on board with big change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of my lot in life is to help facilitate that through communications. And I'm lucky to have chosen a career early on that I've been able to stick with and actually been with a company that I've been able to grow with for that long too. Yeah. Well, and, and as you know, as I look at your career here, I mean, you've been in just about every part of this business. Yeah. Yeah. I started here out of school and I probably had nine different jobs here. Everything from a start, I started out actually as a junior account person in our manufacturing team, I helped start our tech practice, realized that what I, I while I like technology, what I really like is complexity and applied that sort of skill set and that systems thinking skill set to help help clients really simplify complex problems and issues where there are multiple stakeholders and some with competing interests and how can we come get to an essence of what we really need to communicate to them to help people like I said understand appreciate and act sure and you you know in addition to to running Padilla on a day-to-day basis you're uh 
the managing partner of the parent company, Avenir. Yeah, Avenir Global. Avenir um, Global. We were an ESOP uh, up until 19, no, <laughs> up until 2018. It seems like 19. <laughs> no, up until 2018. We were an ESOP up until 2018. And Avenir Global is a uh, Canadian, small Canadian holding company that's uh, largely owned by the Molson family, the beer people. So it's us, the Montreal Canadiens, and Molson Coors. And they were looking for expansion opportunity in the U.S., and they found us, and uh, we've, it's been a great fit. We mm -hmm. were acquired in 2018, and you know how acquisitions go. You would find out before now if it wasn't right, and it's right. They've been great to us, and we've been great to them. We're really, uh, really appreciative. It's, you know, when you can find synergies like that where it, it elevates the, the company, especially coming as an ESOP in, in oh, yeah. the transaction, it's oh, a I mean, different environment. That ESOP culture is, you know, I'm on, the, I'm on the board of an ESOP as well. I'm the, one of the independent board members, Ellers, and we build that ownership culture. And when you're acquired, you worry about losing that. And I think we've been able to retain the important elements of that. ESOPs are great. I think the world of those uh, organizations that have employee ownership it can eventually run its course, and it kind of did for us, and it was just a really great opportunity. It just became the right time. It was the right time. That's exactly it. Well, so any other highlights on Padilla you want to talk about before we get into our next topic? That Well, gosh, that's an open ed. I know it is. Like, I'm, tell, I'm, tell me about your company. It's a softball, right? right? I, Go. You know, I, I feel like I've, uh, I've, given, I've given enough of a commercial. It's just any organization that's going through change has to communicate effectively. They want to get into new markets. They want to take their employees new places. They want to usher in some sort of new system that requires good communications. They want to get out of crisis. You know, that requires good communications, and that's what we do. And uh, we have some really, really smart people, and my job is to make sure they have the resources they need to do good work for clients. Well, and, a, and it's a longstanding, you know, Minnesota-based brand. But, yeah, head, but technically got, headquarters in Minnesota, right. seven offices across the U.S., right. roughly a little over 200 employees. I'd say probably 75% of them are in one of those or near one of those seven offices, and the others are fully remote, which is uh, you know a new world for, for leaders, and we can talk about that a little bit. But uh, we've, uh, we've got some really talented people across the country, and actually more than across the country, Canada and Europe through Avenir Global as well. Well, uh, I think... As Minnesotans, we love that you call Minnesota home, but oh, yeah. you've got a national worldwide presence. I grew up a Scani, but I've been in Minnesota since the late 80s, 1980s. Well, I want to, because I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about this, because uh, you conduct a study, Padilla conducts a study, and you've started it, uh, this is your second year, correct? Second year, yep. And just the, the data that's coming out of this around, you know, the, you call it the shifting mindset of the C-suite. This is fantastic, and so I want to spend as much time as we can here today talking about, even in just a year's time, how you've seen this change and shift. And so I guess let's start at the beginning with it. What led you to do this? Yeah, yeah it, uh, it was a happy accident. Some good friends over at 3M who asked me to come in and do a presentation at their department retreat. They hadn't been together in a while. And they wanted me to come in and talk about what I was seeing going on out there. It was a communications team, an executive communications team, and internal communications. I said, well, I can tell you what, what I'm seeing, but maybe we could back it up with a little bit of research to make sure it's not just one guy's opinion. And so I did, did a little bit of research, had my own observations, did the presentation, and it was really, really well received. And we kind of took it on the road after that. And it was good enough where... Last year, it got such a good reception, we decided to do it again this year. And it consisted the, it's our observations backed by research 
And that research was a mail survey of about 100 C-suite leaders and company owners, about 1,000 employed adults asking their opinions on how their company leaders were acting, as well as last year, about 20, and this year, about 30 in-depth one-on-one interviews with C-suite leaders. And I did, I did most of those. And the first year was really interesting, and we were very curious how much change there would be the second year. And, and uh, yeah, we can talk about that however you like. Just think about the time investment on your part alone of those one-on-one interviews, and but but also the takeaways that you must. Yeah, you know, hey, look, CEO roundtable for one thing is you know a great opportunity to be with peers, but I had the opportunity to hang out and compare notes with twenty company leaders and really get right. get some good perspective. It was cleansing. <laughs> <laughs> Other people that have the so- <laughs> Similar issues or maybe bigger oh, issues, right? It was actually really kind of fun. And there were yeah. a couple of times where like hair would go on the back of my neck because you'd hear five leaders say the exact same thing. And you'd be like, you know what? You're not alone. Right. You're not alone. Yeah. So last year, maybe just a quick summary of things like after effects of COVID and racial reckoning dealing with George Floyd's murder and Asian hate and, and LGBTQ discrimination and emerging social issues and unsettled employees. Remember last year, we didn't really know where the economy was going to go. Right. Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine yet. So there's this geopolitical uncertainty. These things, the swirl was creating an environment where leaders were feeling conflicted. Mm-hmm. And that was the key word of last year's study was conflicted. And that was causing them to really creating change resilient cultures, showing more humanity, both as an individual leader, but more humanity as a company. Exercising, we suggest, is translucency versus transparency, because transparency is a fallacy. Hearing a little bit more about what's going on. Approaching criticism with a little bit different point of view and actually putting that criticism in context and, and being more intentional about communications. That, that right there, so you don't have to read a 50, pers- or 50 slide, slide, slide deck, that right there is a summary of last year's study. Right. This year, we wanted to do a gut check and see if any of that had changed and then added some more questions on top of that and asked questions around what's your point of view on DE&I. And how that's changed. And ESG, last year you're talking about needing to step out more and, and be more uh, vocal on social issues. How's that going? And then we added hybrid workplace in there. What's, how's that working for y'all? And and then the last one that, that was pretty telling was we were getting this feeling that leaders were stepping off a little bit early. And it's pretty telling in how that last, that fourth quarter of the career, what's happening there. And it's got some pretty far reaching implications. Yeah. And I so. think your study certainly gets to that. And, it, and I think it's things maybe you've seen in your round table. I know we've certainly seen in ours uh, where people have gotten through the pandemic and they're just tired, you know? And, and well, yeah. And I didn't, I, so I buried the lead. Yeah. I, well, right. I, the, I said the theme of last year's study was, was conflicted. Conflict. The theme of this year's study is, is fatigued. And what a change yeah. in a year's time. Yeah, a, a, a pretty big change. Certainly many things carried forward. I mean, it's 12 months later, so it's not like the world's completely different, but it just gives you an idea of the fact that leaders have are, are, are needing to constantly respond to the changing external environment. And, and, and they are responding. It's not, you hear words like conflicted and fatigued and think it's a big pity party. Uh, it's really not, but it is a matter of, hey, you know, when, when you're faced with adversity, you're faced with those headwinds, you, we respond. And leaders, the good ones are responding. When you talk about fatigued, and your study talks about this, but, but stepping back and stepping away, and, mm-hmm. and 
if you could shed a little more light on how you saw that unfold in, in the work you did. Yeah. Um, so a couple things that really led to that. I think stepping back and stepping away is one of the ways that leaders are responding to the fatigue, but there are other ways as well. I'd hate to give anybody the impression that, yeah, leaders are fatigued, therefore everybody's bailing, because that's not necessarily it. Right. There's definitely a change in, hey, what, what do I really want to do with the last leg of my career? That's part of it. But they're also changing maybe how they articulate where the company is going, simplifying things a little bit, rather than chasing everything, really getting focused on the key fundamentals. What do we do well? What do we do well and what do we need to keep doing well? And you know, maybe we're not going to chase seven different things. We're going to chase three and do them really well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also more, I think, spreading the load a little bit in terms of communicating, feeling like you're this broken record and always having to carry the torch and being the hood ornament. And after a while, people maybe, first of all, you get start to get tired of it. That's the fatigue part, but also people start to tune out and they maybe need to hear it from someone else. Maybe reevaluating some of the workplace well-being things that have been put in place and make sure that they're actually valued by employees because Worker well-being has gone down a lot. There's lots of studies. Um, Deloitte has a really good one about self-reported worker well-being has dropped. Yet the C-suite's kind of frustrated by that because we've done a whole lot of things over the past year and a half or so to try and pr- improve workplace well-being. It's like, well, what, what more can we do? So looking at the things that we're doing and saying, are they really being valued? And do we need to instead double down on the ones that are really, really important? I think that was one of the, the aha moments of as I read this study is the the dichotomy of perspective on worker well-being from the C-suite to yeah and and and, and, front line. and I I mean I can't take credit for that data because that's in the in, it's in a report but it actually comes from Deloitte and 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 for the listeners Deloitte asked employees what if their well-being had gone down gone up or stayed the same over the past year and it was financial well-being physical well-being mental well-being and I can't remember what the last one was but four four different attributes and the significant majority said that well-being had declined. They asked CEOs of those same companies, has worker well-being gone up, gone down, or stayed the same? The vast majority of CEOs said it had stayed the same or gone up. And you, at first you th- you're thinking, well, those leaders are out of touch. Well, I don't think they're out of touch. I think that their lens is just the fact that they have invested a lot. Right. Uh, flexible work hours, increased wages, more benefits, dogs in the office, we were just talking about, you know, all these things to be done, you know, sharing the load more, investing in mental health. And we're doing all these things and then worker well-being still going down. Right. You look at all those things, you stack all those things up and say, how can it not be going up? Yeah, that's exactly right. Your assumption was because we did it, workplace well-being is going up. When, And I think the realization with, with those leaders in the interviews was... I'm coming to the realization that I need to do everything I can to help worker well-being, but recognize that eight to nine hours of a person's day is work and there's other things that they're dealing with as well. So we're going to do our part, but recognize that it's not our sole responsibility to have everybody's well-being. Now, one of the other things that that I thought was an uh, an essential theme coming out of this was the talent Uh, shifts and the talent void that you've identified. It's... I don't even know if it's a talent divide as much as it is there is a change on the horizon that is going to have some pretty significant implications over the next few years. And it's a combination of really two things. One is the hybrid work environment. And the second is the career aspirations of 
uh, both leaders and the next generation of leaders. So let's talk about hybrid work environments first. First, I will acknowledge absolutely that hybrid work environment is really more relevant to people who have an office type of setting. You're a manufacturing employee, you're a frontline worker. Hybrid is not hybrid. You need to be there, right? We are talking a lot about office and people who have the ability to work hybrid. So first of all, most of the leaders we talk to, they've made the changes they're going to make and they're going to try and stick with the hybrid environment they have right now. And, and the vast majority of them are on some sort of a three-two kind of thing, three in the office, two not, the variation on whether or not it's uh, mandated or not. But a lot of them are mandated. These three days you're going to be in the office and these two you can be you can do what you want. Most leaders have said they made the changes they want to make. Most don't love it, but they're going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So how is it manifesting itself? It's it, it, first of all, it's really hard. It's really hard to maintain culture when you got people scattered all over the place. But one of the things that we talked a lot about in the interviews was that this bit of an hourglass effect. You, if you picture an hourglass and the verbal marker board here, at the bottom of that hourglass, you've got your zero to five year employees. They by and large, again, little generalization, but by and large, want to be in the office. They're eager to learn. They're building their social networks they're yeah. getting they're, they're they're a lot of their friends their friends and relationships are being formed at that time they probably have a crappy apartment that's not exactly a great work workplace environment right. so they want to by and large come in not not five days a week but they want to be in the office at least part of the time top of the hourglass are your senior people they have kids that are probably out of school they may have a spouse with a little bit more flexible work arrangement. They remember what it was like before COVID and the value of that in-person interaction. And they, by and large, want to come in and be in the office, at least for the time when they're supposed to be. That middle part, that kind of five to 15-year experience area, school-age children, maybe a spouse without the same flexibility, Probably a first-time home buyer or maybe second-time home buyer that with a more affordable home in the suburbs with a longer commute. They were, they were introduced to a lot of flexibility during COVID, and that's really valuable to them. They're not as keen on coming in. So what you have is you've got the zero to five-year people who learn how to be managers from those five to 15-year people who are not in, in the office. In the office anymore, you've right. You've got the five to 15-year people who are going to learn how to be leaders from the people 15 and above. It's all working right now. It's okay. It's working. Mm-hmm. A few years from now, as the shifts happen, we're going to have to teach people how to be managers in a different kind of environment. And we're going to have to teach leaders how to be leaders in a different kind of environment. It's going to have some impacts a few years down the road. Yeah, that's... Holy cow, that was a long explanation. Know, but, but It's a lot easier to do with a marker board, but you, you see what I'm, see where I'm going with that, right? But the implications of that are, are so significant for a business of any size. Big time, big time, because the kinds of skill sets that leaders that I talk to, the kinds of skill sets that got them where they are today, you know, you and I are roughly the same age, I think. There were a classic set of leadership skill sets, confidence, stoicism, courage, that never let them see a sweat kind of thing, right? Right. right? And, and, and a certain level of even aggressiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Those skill sets, 
are a very, very different set of skill sets that it takes to be a leader going forward. And those same leaders who said right. these were the skill sets that got me where they are today are, are saying, uh, going forward, I need to you know, exercise a little bit more empathy and a little more humanity and and some more vulnerability. Yeah, be a little more real. And, yeah, yeah, and, and, and reach out a little bit yeah. more and connect with people in more human ways. Right. Well, now you're having to do that in an environment where we've literally made it permissible to isolate yourself. Right. And that's a challenge. So there's there's new skill sets that have to be developed. And the thing is, those skill sets are having to be developed in an environment that it's really, really challenging to do, even if you're really good at it. It's like learning to play golf at Pebble Beach, right? right. It's a hard environment, but it's got to happen. Well, and it, and it will. It's just for us and and as we see people developing their careers it's how it's going to happen and and how are they going to fill those gaps yeah right? so so either you either either we will <laughs> either if I'm, a, if I'm a pessimist um the the quality of management and leadership will go down in the next couple of years if I'm an optimist the quality of management and leadership will just need to change and we're going to have to train people differently right well because i i and I see it too, but by and large, those people that are working more remote have just built their skill sets to a point where it, that all works, right? They, they know how to get things done in their organizations. They, mm -hmm. They've developed a, those certain skill sets, those certain confidence levels, and they can make things happen. And as again, there's going to be a gap there where that's not going to be present. It's hard to, it, it gets a little tiring talking about debating whether remote work is good or, or bad. It, it, the answer is yes. Okay. It's both. Um, what I would say is it's a little bit, the, the analogy I gave to one one CEO I, talk, I talked to was, it's a little, and actually he, he kind of gave me the idea and I sort of fleshed it out a little bit, but it's a little bit like building two different brick walls. One brick wall you're building by stacking up bricks and you're creating the wall. The other brick wall, you're putting mortar in it, okay? Well, that brick wall that you stack up all the bricks in and don't have no mortar in it, it's a brick wall. And it's holding stuff in, it's keeping stuff out. It's a wall and it's working. The other brick wall with the mortar in it probably has some more resilience, probably is going to last a little bit longer. It's probably a better wall. But if you've never seen a brick wall with mortar in it, you're like, what's the difference? They're both walls, right? right. I feel like what we're doing is we, we're creating a decent wall I don't know that it holds up quite as long. And unless you've actually seen the one with mortar in it, which a lot of people have, you know, more who have have more experience, it's it's working. Work is getting done. I just is it getting done in the same way? I it's hard to say. Yeah, it is. Well, and I think we could keep going on with the data you have in this study because it's just fascinating that uh, what you've been able to frame for leaders and organizations and the things they need to be thinking about. And I, but I am going to shift gears on you just a little bit. And I want you to talk about your personal experience with the CEO Roundtable. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to start off with, with not a softball question, but what what's the biggest decision you made utilizing your peer group at the CEO Roundtable? And how did they help you? The biggest, uh, the biggest decision I made. Hmm, interesting. Uh, well, most important. How most about important. that? Boy, if our employees are listening to this, I, this will be stuff that they don't even know. You know, uh, in the in the year before Avenir Global purchased us, we spent about a year working on the deal. I mean, it was primarily me and our CFO at the time, and and Lynn Casey, my boss, who was the, mm -hmm. our CEO at the time, and we basically had a second job 
for about a year. But you really couldn't talk to anyone. It was a second job, yeah. literally in secret. I was right. coming in at six every morning, working with Dale till about 8.30. And then kind of like when everybody else came in, we had our day job. And then maybe right. about five o'clock, we kind of got back and worked on other things again. That went on for, that went on for almost a year. And this is an ESOP. So there's a trustee, there's a board. Um, we've got, we have to make the right decision on this acquisition and make sure the deal is good because employee retirements are at stake. Right. It was awfully nice to be able to, in Chatham House Rules, sit down with the round table, my, my round table group, and say, okay, here's the deal that's in front of us, and here's what I'm thinking, here's what it looks like, here's how we're approaching it, and have that gut check and not necessarily feel so alone. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, that's, uh, I think everybody who's been in any round table will will nod vigorously. Sometimes you go to round table to, just to remind yourself that your day wasn't nearly as bad as that person's day. <laughs> and I mean, I don't mean to say, you know, right. misery loves company, but it's like, okay, let's put this in, in perspective. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that happen today. Right. Well, and I think because you've got people around that table that have either been involved in deals or seen deals or at least know you right. and and know how you think and, and how you make decisions that, that can give you that kind of advice. Well, and the way the roundtable is set up too is is really nice because, you know, you, you don't have any competitors in there. So you have a, a pretty diverse group of, of leaders from very different companies. And, you know, at first I was like, these people, I don't have anything in common with these people. But actually that's part of the beauty of it is because... I heard this from a student the other day. You got to get out of your own backyard every once in a while. And there's- There's a big world out there. You know what our business is? So sitting at a round table with the CEO of a pallet machine company and learning the kind of stuff that he's dealing with, right. Kurt, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I like to make those connections. Yeah. And I think even the, the though the businesses are you know worlds apart, customers are worlds apart, there are things you can draw on from the the challenges that someone else is facing that you say, you know what, I've got something similar. And, you know, what that person just said, uh, there's something there that I can use. Well, it's a great point because at the heart of literally every business are people making decisions. Right. Think about it. What business, any, any one of the, the people on this podcast who is in a business that isn't grounded on people making decisions? Well, that's a fairly universal thing. Regardless of right? what's made, so, sold. Yeah, with, yeah, made, sold, who's working for what. Right. Understanding how people are motivated and how people make decisions and what drives them and the psychology of that, that's not a B2B thing or a B2C thing. That's not a services thing or a software thing. That's a human thing. Yeah, well said. Yeah. So now I have a I have a three questions for you that uh, are going to give listeners a chance to get to know Matt <laughs> a little bit better. What co- if you were a tree? What color? Yeah, right. Tree, exactly. The these are the Barbara Walters. These are right. 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 She so, just passed away, didn't she? I think so. I said that. Hope not. Favorite movie. Oh, good question. Uh, Almost Famous. And if you've never seen Almost Famous, it's a Cameron Crowe movie set in the 1970s. Uh, It's about a kid, uh, a kind of a savant kid in high school who has the opportunity to write an article for Rolling Stone magazine about one of his favorite bands. And he's got to decide whether he's going to write a puff piece or whether he's going to write the truth about the band. It's just a great coming of age story. 
until I've gotten that question before. <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah. You were prepared. Well, I am. And, and I'll, I'm going to give you two others because they're very good. Oh, yeah. Throw them in. Um, 12 Angry Men. If you're a CEO and you don't, and you haven't seen 12 Angry Men, go see 12 Angry Men. Just mm-hmm. download it. And if you don't know it, it's uh, the entire thing is set in a courtroom. 1950s is when it was. Henry Fonda is the main character. Entire thing is set in a jury room. And it's 12 jurors needing to decide the fate of a murder um, uh, suspect. And you watch over the course of that movie, and it's a quasi-spoiler alert, but that doesn't matter. You watch those 12 jurors go from 11 thinking that he's guilty and one not sure to two hours later, 12 saying he's not guilty. And you watch the... And there's a reason why this is an important movie, I think, for all leaders to watch is because the whole... Pioneers, early adopters, early majority, late majority laggards happens in the movie. And if you look at what causes each of those jurors to change their mind, it's different persuasive elements. It is absolutely, because we are literally managing the 12 angry men every day. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds really bad, but the point is we're never going to get the 12th juror. We got to bring as many people along as we can, and then others will follow. Right. Yeah. So there you go. I gave that one. I had to give you one more. All right. What are you reading? (laughs) <laughs> wow. You know what? You're going to laugh. I just finished the audiobook of Britney Spears' memoir. <laughs> okay. That's good. Okay. And what was your takeaway? I totally were not expecting that. I was not expecting that. that so, okay, so that so, is fantastic. So I tend to I tend to read fiction most of the time and I actually just finished Barbara Kingsolver's new book Demon Copperhead, mm. which is the Dickens David Copperfield set in modern day Appalachia and it's fantastic. Hmm. It's basically, I don't know if you, the, the book that was popular a few years ago, Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. It's that book in a novel form. I finished that and after I was done with that, I, I popped up the recommendation for the Britney Spears memoir. So I I actually picked it up because of that whole thing of getting your getting out of your own backyard. Right. What the hell is a 56-year-old guy reading Britney Spears' memoir? Well, I I was on long drive and I wanted to kind of see what what it was about and I learned about mental health. I learned about the impact of postpartum depression. I learned about the music industry. Hmm. I learned about unintended consequences of of some relationships and familiar relationships. Now, do I think Britney Spears is completely clean in all this? No, absolutely not. But I learned a lot kind of by getting out of my own backyard and listening to Britney Spears' memoir. Because you were open to that learning. And so it, it took you in some places that you probably didn't expect when you started it. Yeah, it, it absolutely did. I was like, yeah. wow. I and, and every once in a while I do that, I pick up a book that I know I'm not going to agree with. Right. Because I think we need to do that. I mean, if you think about what we have, I'm going to go on a rant for a second here. Because if you think about what is what has happened and all the polarization that we have now and this this if you're not for me you're against me kind of thing mm-hmm. it's because we now have an environment where we just so easily can shut off stuff that doesn't meet our frame of reference that it allows us to to seek out validation and to very very quickly shut off anything that makes us uncomfortable I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that as a complaint. I'm saying that as an observation. When How many channels did you guys have on TV when you were growing up? Like three or four. Three or right? four. Yeah. So if you were watching the news or watching something and you 
didn't like it, you kind of had nowhere else to go, right? Right. Now, if you see something that you don't like, click. Mm -hmm. So what happens is we see, and, and, and that idea of going into places where we only see things that we like, we're constantly producing dopamine. And we're constantly creating that pressure, pleasure chemical and we want more and more and more of it. Mm -hmm. And we never actually have to listen to anybody else's point of view. And that's what we're facing right now. That's why polarization exists. Don't blame the media. It's not the media's fault. We asked for all these channels. We asked for all these options. We have to force ourselves to actually try stuff we don't really like. And don't you think that, that part of that too, Matt, is the the ease of being able to say whatever you want on social media? You know, ask <laughs> Elon Musk, right, this week? Oh. But Yeah, oh yes, but, absolutely. But the ability, you know, if, if I, I'm, I'm sitting here with you and, and I'm I'm going to have a different tone and, and way of approaching you about something than if I'm on my on my phone saying, Matt, yeah. you're, you know. So, so George, Carl, right? George Carlin had a great little bit on this, if you remember George Carlin. Yeah. He, he used to say... The degree to which the person is an a-hole is directly proportional to how far away they are from you. The person right. who's way far on the other side of the street, he's pretty much of an a-hole. Right. The person who's right next to you is kind of a little bit of an a-hole. And that was George Carlin. That's exactly what we're doing in social media. Yeah. I don't have to see you. I don't have to be accountable to you. I can say whatever I want, walk away. I think that that's certainly part of it. Certainly part of it, which is why human connections require actually some 3D connections occasionally as well. Right. One more question. Okay. Bucket list concert, which lets you go anywhere. This. You know, <laughs> so uh, I kind of accidentally had it already, and it was backstage at the Foo Fighters at Ooh. New Orleans Jazz Fest. And it's because one of my buddies is employed by the Foo Fighters and I happened, it was serendipity. I happened to be there and he texted me and said, Hey, why don't you come up on stage? And so I sat next to Dave Grohl's wife and kids and across from Daryl Hannah. And I basically had a backstage Foo Fighters concert. That was pretty badass. <laughs> but I'm going to this summer. I hopefully going to be going to Red Rocks to see, uh, and listen to, um, uh, Trampled by Turtles. Mm. Uh, Dave Simonette is a, is a friend. Um, I, I, boy, I, how am I, I'm doing a terrible answer to this. I just, I just really like, we were, we were talking earlier. I just really like, I just like musicians who are just super talented. And I have so much appreciation for that because I'm not. I'm one of those people who picks things up quickly but never perfects them. So when I see a really, really great artist or listen to really, really great artists or, you know, whether it's, whether it's, guitar, whether it's singing or whether it's a painter, it just jazzes me. Yeah. And I've only heard great things about Red Rocks. I've not been. Yeah. yeah. I, I was there when it wasn't not a yeah. concert, just walked around there and I'm like, this place is amazing. And, uh, you know, I'd go, to go and, to go and have like more of an acoustic kind mm -hmm. of a bluegrass, blue, it, it's, it, it's made for like a bluegrass thing. So hopefully that plays out. I might just go anyway. Well, Matt, this has been fantastic, and I think the the insights and you know, in some respects, revelations that came out of your study, uh, the shifting mindset of the C-suite, are are going to help all of us in other ways. And so, is there 
How can our listeners get their hands on this? Ah, good question. Well, if you if you were one of the few who actually completed the email survey that we sent out on this, you're going to get you're in. I mean, you're right. in already. <laughs> but if anyone else wants it, uh, just shoot me a, an email at matt.kuharski. Right. It's K-U-C-H-A-R-S-K-I at padillaco.com. That's a mouthful to spell. Matt, M-A-T-T dot K-U-C-H-A-R-S-K-I at P-A-D-I-L-L-A-C-O dot com. Or just hit me on LinkedIn and we'll connect and I'll get you a copy, no problem. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for being on. Scott, thanks for having me. It's, It's fun chatting with you. All right. Thank you for listening to the CEO to CEO podcast produced by Dave Swerdlick and the incredible team at Uptown Podcast Studios. You can find them at uptownpodcast.com. Be certain to subscribe so you don't miss an episode with more CEO wisdom highlighting experience and insights from the trenches. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and share with others. If you are a Minnesota-based business leader who would like to learn more about being part of a Peer Advisory Roundtable, check us out at ceo-roundtable.org.